Hi, Wilf. It's such a pleasure to have you with us today in our very first podcast for the TWP Community of Practice newsletter of the November edition. And I am really excited to speak with you because I know that you have been a pioneer in all things TWP, um, in a lot of the work that you have done with DFID back in the day, um, also at CDO, and now with a uh, project supported by USAID in Zambia. So this is very exciting, and um, we very much look forward to to hearing uh, your thoughts on on all things CWP, as as we would say. So let me start with the first question for you, which is, uh, can you tell us a little bit about how you started your TWP journey? How is it that you came to think about the centrality of politics in development and what has been helpful in, in enabling you to do that, to think about the politics of development and act accordingly? Good. Thanks very much, uh, Lina, for having me and uh, really happy to be to be here too. Well, I, I think uh, basically my career in development, uh, I started as a community mobilizer, working on a community-based project, mobilizing communities to build schools, uh, community schools. So I would go into communities and help, uh, you know, uh, raise awareness in the community, get parents to support the building of schools for, for their children. And very early in that process, I realized that everything, no matter how innocent it may be, revolved around politics. It's either we were stopped by a local councillor, you know, or political parties wanted to know why we, who, which, which side of the divide we were supporting with the work that we were doing. Um, so I, I, I was quite clear from the very early on that politics would be at the center of anything that we did. However, uh, joining DFID at the, uh, during the age of drivers of change was probably the game changer for me. It gave me the framework uh, to think through, uh, you know, systematically through, uh, think through the role of politics uh, in development. And I was very privileged to work with people like Graham Teske, who at the time was the head of uh, the um, uh, governance profession in DFID. So I, 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 I would say, you know, the, having an enabling environment uh, with people who had this experience and who were already exposed to thinking and working politically, although it wasn't called that then, really helped me uh, to, um, uh, to, 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 to get, you know, to understand how you turn the knowledge about local politics and context into something that, uh, that's productive and uh, helps to take development outcomes forward. So I think that would be my introduction to uh, thinking and working politically. Thank you so much, Wilf. And it's really interesting to hear um, that you actually were working closely with Graham Teske back in the day. Um, it has been about two decades, really, since DFID in particular, as well as other development um, developing organizations, have been trying to think about development differently and, and work differently on the ground as a result. And I'm wondering, could you give us an example of where you have been where you have been able to see or witness TWP in action on the ground and what kind of role you may have played in enabling or facilitating that? Sure, thank you. I think there are a number of examples, but uh, let me pick uh, two. One very quick one and one I'll explain a bit more. I think, you know, working in Nigeria for me was very eye-opening. I had spent most of my work life when I started in Zambia, in my own country. And so I took things for granted because when we were stuck, I knew who to call. 
where to you know press the button if you like uh, whereas going to a place like Nigeria where I had to learn uh, what the context was context was sorry uh, meant I needed to really think and work uh, politically we were working I was leading a project from the diffident uh, called uh, savvy uh, the state accountability and voice initiative which worked across 10 different states with very different uh, nuances in in terms of context, uh, you know, some of the leaders, some of the governors we had in those states were reformists. Most were not. They were, you know, their, their incentives uh, to put, uh, to be put, putting it politely, were elsewhere. So that was a very, um, uh, it, it was eye opening for me to just see how important it was to understand the context, uh, to really know the players start to understand the incentives. And as I said, having come from a country where uh, this was home, I took those things for granted. Working in Nigeria where I had to start from scratch to learn about the context really helped me to, to, to put much more importance on the frameworks for learning, uh, for, for political economy analysis. And my main role when I was working on, uh, on SAVI was to be the enabler making sure that I could create space for the program within DFID at the time to be able to do that. However, I think one uh, example that I'm really proud of, uh, this is much more recent than my work in Nigeria, was uh, when I was working in DRC. DRC had uh, you know, uh, delayed its election for a long time, and uh, they finally held it in December 2018. I felt like for the two, year, two years before then, where I, I went to Nigeria in 2016, and I dedicated most of my life trying to work with uh, stakeholders to push uh, or to nudge, uh, you know, the political establishment towards holding the, 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 the long-delayed elections. And um, ahead of the elections, uh, DRC government decided to introduce what they called voter machines. Um, and you know, technically, the, the, the reason for bringing in voter machines was logical. Because they would have so many candidates, the ballot paper would be sometimes run into hundreds of pages. So they thought by bringing in these machines, they would reduce the logistical problem that they had uh, and uh, enable people to more easily uh, cast their vote. However, they introduced this without any consultation at all with stakeholders, uh, which brought suspicion and, uh, you know, the opposition threatened to, uh, uh, to, to boycott the election. The Catholic, influential Catholic Church was opposed to it. And because these two groups were opposed to it, it meant, you know, they influenced citizens against the use of these machines. Uh, but we also knew, understanding the politics, that the government had decided and giving them any excuse at all to cancel the election, they would grab it. And so we had to find a way of working uh, with, uh, with these challenges to help uh, the process move forward. So we, we decided to think uh, we internally about the technical uh, tools we had in terms of being able to bring in technical expertise and also some of the uh, political um, good we had with, uh, you know, working with our colleagues in the Foreign Commonwealth Office then, our political officers and the ambassador to be able to, uh, to, to convince stakeholders. Uh, we, we thought, you know, let's use a technical uh, uh, um, solution to start 
and that was to bring in an independent team to just come and have a review of these machines in order to help uh, uh, have, um, you know, um, uh, a constructive discussion around the machines. So the machines themselves may, uh, in the end, were largely neutral. I mean, they could be manipulated, but, you know, through the review, we found there were a few problems with them, but those could be sorted. However, what the report did was enable us to then use the findings of that report to show the pros and cons of using these machines, uh, take the debate to a level where it was less about emotion and really looking at the machines and seeing whether there were ways you could you know, factor in certain controls that would enable the stakeholder fears to be allayed. And so having got them uh, the, the report, we uh, uh, put our, uh, our, our ambassador, the UK ambassador in DRC then to use and uh, used his office's uh, ability to convince stakeholders and to influence at a very high level the presidency, the, the president of the electoral commission in, Nigeria, uh, sorry, in, in DRC to, um, uh, to push them towards having a, a, meet, a consultative meeting with all stakeholders at which the uh, group that we had brought in to do the, the review presented. And we had several hundreds of people at that presentation, uh, which really helped to facilitate dialogue around the contentious issues of the machine. Now, this was the first time that this dialogue took place. And although we started with a technical solution, what we really did was encourage a political uh, 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 solution of a compromise and discussion we didn't get uh, the first meeting, you know, went relatively well, but we didn't know where, whether that would have would help to take uh, the, 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 the process further. And we continued in the background talking to uh, um, you know, different stakeholders, sharing their results, responding to their questions. And I think in the end, we did have an election. The result of that election and what happened after that was is a, is a story for another day. However, in that in that case, my, my role was really to work in the background, uh, thinking through all the uh, tools that we had uh, and realizing that as a, as a donor, having, uh, you know, working for DFID, we really couldn't be the ones seen to be in the forefront. Therefore, we brought someone independent to help do uh, this, uh, carry out this review. And our role was uh, in the background to encourage that consensus building bringing uh, players together. So I think in, in that role, it, uh, as challenging as it was, my most effective uh, uh, intervention was not existing uh, publicly while doing quite a lot in the background to bring the relevant players together. So that, that for me was one, one example where we really used uh, the strength of both FCO uh, and DFID and other uh, stakeholders to, um, you know, to... Uh, to, to get a result that uh, that really mattered for DRC. Well, that's a really interesting example, and thank you so much for sharing it. Um, I don't think I have heard um, of that story in particular, so it really brings to life a lot of what we think about when we think about thinking, working politically, and perhaps using a technical in to deal with issues that are profoundly political in nature, um, but in ways that, are, that, that might be smarter um, and, and convening, as you say, different stakeholders uh, who may otherwise not be coming together. So that's really valuable. I wonder if you could tell us from, from that experience, 
how did you feel that you were able to do this within um, the FID at the time? What kind of space or enabling environment did you find that you had to be able to to, to make the decisions that you were making at the level that you were making them to continue to push on this in, in a way that you felt was tailored to the, to the local context? Uh, sure. I mean, it, it wasn't easy. We had uh, sometimes differences between DFID and FCO in the way we saw the world, but we, we focused first on the things we agreed on. We agreed that DRC needed to have an election. And we also agreed that, uh, you know, each one of our organizations had the strength. And so rather than fighting each other, even where we didn't disagree, we always started with looking at areas where we, we, we were agreeing and, um, you know, um, building building consensus internally first, uh, helping to, to um, for lack of a better word, educate our seniors about the importance of... Um, uh, thinking politics and thinking politics for DRC, not just for the for the UK or the relationship between the UK and 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 uh, you know DRC, uh, helping them understand that for some of this work they were going, we were all going to be have to be invisible, playing that invisible hand, convening the stakeholders, and uh, you know there were not going to be many photo opportunities with this kind of work. I think. Uh, Personally, I also was uh, had a very good relationship with my head of office and the seniors, the other, you know, the ambassador, that we could honestly talk and debate, uh, agree to disagree sometimes. Uh, but uh, they were, uh, I needed to understand what their incentives were, what their, some of their fears, and the more I understood that and found ways of allaying them, the more they left the space to, to operate as a team. Uh, so I think it's really important to think about, uh, you know, the, the, those with uh, authority above you. We, we, we also involve the ministers in the UK in doing all of this. So, uh, for example, to get cover for, for getting this technical work uh, going, we wrote to the minister and said, Minister, these are the options that are there. This could go wrong. If uh, the report is seen as the UK, for example, endorsing these machines, it could go very wrong, which is why we also want to do this work uh, arm's length, at arm's length. Uh, but this is the honest opinions of your technocrats. And, uh, you know, these are the risks. We laid them out to, them, to, to him. And he gave us conditions uh, at the time on what, where, you know, what were his red lines. And we just made sure that we kept the, that at the back, back of our minds as we went through this work. So, uh, and I think um, we really just had a, a very good team in DRC with uh, my team of uh, governance advisors, the political team in FCO. We worked together uh, well and had built strong relationships with counterparts in the Congolese uh, government and Congolese stakeholders that they knew our our hearts and minds were in the right place, even though we may not have had, you know, all the answers. Hopefully that helps to, to, to give you a flavor of what it was like inside. Yes, absolutely. And that also what you're saying helps to highlight some of the things that we have been finding um, across the TWP space about the need to um, develop relationships that are very much based on trust um, the ability and the backing to take risks and how you do that. Um, and it sounds like you have uh, provided a very good example of, of, of how you actually did um, 
take a risk uh, and, and sought to get support to be able to do that. Um, so I think you have brought this um, example very, very nicely to life in relation to TWP. And I'm wondering, based a little bit on all of this work that you have done, both uh, with DFID and FCDO, as well as uh, USAID now, and obviously with, with partners on the, on the ground, where do you think international development actors are now in, in terms of TWP? Where has TWP gotten most traction and why do you think that is? Hmm. Um, I think, first of all, I think there's a general acceptance across most of the major donors now about the centrality of politics. I think that's a good thing. You know, when the World Bank writes a world development report and puts governance at the center of it, when they, you know, uh, put resources to writing their own political economy analysis tools, you see that the world has moved. And, and that's a good thing because that's a big machinery and they probably are usually uh, slower to move on these things. So I think there's a general acceptance across all across donors that or cooperating partners, as we would call them, uh, you know, that uh, politics is central to everything that we do. So they're investing in uh, understanding the context. Uh, they're investing in, um, in providing the tools for, for doing that. Uh, DFID has always been, from the time I joined, quite a leader on this. And I look at uh, USAID now and, uh, you know, I've, I've had to learn their own framework for uh, political economy analysis working on a, on a, on a, on a project. I, I believe you, you probably produced one of their, their papers that have been written, right? The thinking and working politically. Is it in practice or applied, uh, applied working? Uh, it has yeah. a it has a very long time. I think it's called yes. <laughs> thinking and working politically through applied political economy analysis. Yes, exactly. that's the, that's the framework. Yes. And and yes, I was one of the lead writers, and then we had that very short document and lots of annexes. So I expect that you've read everything. <laughs> I, I have read a, I have read a lot of them. Yes, but uh, you know, for me, coming into a new organization and that's one of the first documents they give you shows the prominence that uh, thinking and working politically has, has taken. So I think the, there's, it's probably been brought about by the many failures that we've, we've had as well as development um, you know, practitioners. You, there's a lot of money that's been thrown at, 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 at problems and we normally are very good at solving issues which are, uh, are direct, you know, putting kids in schools and uh, we, we can do all of that, but sustaining that we don't have a very good history. And I think people have woken up to the fact that at the center, the reason for that is really around politics and donors understand that. I think um, there's also kind of a, a, a humility that donors, because of that, we've had, there's been a development of a humility uh, and uh, that, you know, you, you don't come with ex expertise uh, from outside that you can just, you know, uh, cut and paste that you've got to uh, contextualize whatever solutions you have. And so that has also driven the acceptance and the embra uh, embracing of thinking and working politically by, by many donors. I must say, before I went to Nigeria, for example, I had never worked with a service provider or an implementing partner. We, I, I came from a country where DFID was supporting a government through government-to-government -government relations, through budget support and so on. Going to a place like Nigeria, where I then had an encounter with, uh, you know, international development uh, uh, consultancy firms, 
showed me how what um, what role they've also played in all of this. I think they've they've brought some of that expertise that we may not have had, or brought some of the freedom that internally as donors we didn't always have uh, in thinking and working uh, politically. So I think generally what we've done well is that acceptance and that this is now driving a lot of our uh, of interventions. Um, there are things that we haven't done well, and maybe uh, we might discuss that later. But in terms of what we've done, that acceptance and you know investing in in, in the tools, investing in people, uh, respecting local expertise—that's something that I think we're getting better at doing. Yes, absolutely. I think that that's exactly right. And in fact, my next question uh, for you was um, around that. Where where is there more work that is needed um, um, in, in TWP and uptake, do you think? Sure. So uh, from my perspective, uh, I think uh, two or three things. The first one is I think there's still a hang up on the tools rather than on actually really um, going back to the USAID paper, uh, applying, you know, uh, political economy analysis and thinking and working politically. So you find that we spend so much time perfecting reports. You know, we want the best consultants to come. We want, you know, we, we, we want uh, Alina, we want uh, Graham and, the, the, you know, Davis of this world to come and write these reports, um, which is a good thing. The reports are good, but that's not, that in itself does not, uh, lead immediately into thinking and working politically. So I think we need to loosen up sometimes on the tools. If I use a combination of tools from DFID, World Bank, uh, you know, uh, USAID to get to understand the context and use it, then we will have we will be doing political economy analysis. And I think programs that do that well uh, focus more about uh, on on the, on the substance rather than and the form. So I think that's something that we all need to learn from. The second thing is really is the applied bit, right? So we we can sometimes end up using these as academic reports. We we use them when we're designing a project, you know. But once a project starts going, it's hard to adapt. Uh, partly because of the incentives within the donor community, it's so hard to change business cases in uh, in in DFID. It, Probably is the same with uh, USAID once the contracts are signed. So there's still some learning, some work to be done on how we actually adapt and uh, make sure that the uh, analysis is leading to change in the way we do things and in the way we uh, we do our, our programming. So I think, um, and the, the last thing is around measuring of results because what we measure is what takes prominence. So if we're measuring results that um, uh, affect the bottom line or, you know, affect uh, payment by results, as we, as, as, uh, 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 which is the, new, uh, the, the, the new, new drive, we end up missing uh, the opportunities to actually really uh, work on those, some long-term things, that will fundamentally make a difference. So I think there's a focus on, a less focus on the on on the tools, uh, more on application. We need to uh, think a bit more about using the analysis to change and adapt our programs. And then finally, we need to find new ways of measuring progress rather than just the the, the easy stuff. 
Yes, and I think this is the, the last point that you make is actually something that the Nazios, who was um, um, himself um, 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 at, at USA um, at the beginning of the decade, I believe. Uh, sorry, I think we have to pause because I forgot what <laughs> Nazios title is. Just wrote an article. Now, I think more than a decade ago, um, he was the chief administrator for USAID, and he was saying that part of the challenge is precisely that, that if we have a focus on measuring things that are obvious and immediate and easy, that keeps that, you know, being counting and it takes away um, um, the focus on the bigger picture and on things that may be less tangible, but but perhaps much more fundamental, right? So he, he was talking about that challenge. Um, and I think the different things that you have highlighted um, around payment by results and the pressures to um, produce towards that goal um, can can in a way undermine thinking working politically um, and and um, ways of working that are more based on 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 progress, if you will, or process um, than than in immediate outcomes like that. So I think that that's very important. Thank you so much. Um, I wonder, Will, if if uh, for closing you could share with us um, if you were to to bestow a piece of advice on fellow travelers on this TWP road, what would it be? What what kinds of wor words of wisdom would, would you share with them or what would you recommend that they read or learn more about mm -hmm. or, or try? So if, if this is to inspire TWPers along the way, what what would be your 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 words of wisdom for inspiration? Thank so I, whether it's words of words of wisdom or just uh, <laughs> uh, I won't call them words of wisdom, but this is what I think. Uh, sometimes uh, it's easy in, in development. I found that myself it, to get hung up with words or, or um, uh, with, with you know the uh, what do you call the the, the, the new phrases. Uh, a lot of this stuff is common sense. A lot of this stuff is your instincts. A lot of this uh, stuff is actually living in the experience, really getting to know your your context, really embracing it, and uh, really having the passion to learn about the people, about the country. That's the starting point. All the frameworks that we then use help us to organize that. That's organized knowledge. But I think starting from very much embracing the country, embracing the people, embracing the cultures really helps us to understand. And I think that's one. And I think leaving behind our own judgments. I don't always understand, you know, what, uh, what, the, what the cultures in the UK, UK is. Uh, you don't, you will never always understand what the cultures in, you know, in Africa, as an example, or Zambia in particular are, but we've got to respect that. And I think for me, those are fundamental. Once you do that, then the, the intellectual stuff becomes easier. This is about people, this is about communities, and this is about cultures. And my final word would be, please make sure to know the difference between work, thinking and working politically versus thinking and working patronizingly. Sometimes, because we have a bit of a, of a knowledge of a country, we've read some books, we can all feel that we know enough. Uh, sometimes it's amusing when people call themselves an expert on Africa or a region, uh, you know, um, because they've studied the region. Uh, it's very different studying it versus living it. So I think it's really just making sure that we're always having the humility to know 
that learning is ongoing and the more we know, the more we know we don't know. Wilf, that's a really excellent note to end on and I, and I very much take to heart um, your advice that we should be very humble because this is all about learning and as you say, the more we delve into things, the more we realize that they're quite complex and that we just may not know enough. Um, so this has been really wonderful. I, uh, I hope we, uh, we, we can continue with, with podcasts or different ways of experimenting with um, bringing voices of, um, around TWP to the newsletter. Um, and thank you so much for being our very first guest in this endeavor. Thank you very much for giving me the opportunity. Okay, 